Our scripture passage this morning comes from John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and their fruit should abide, so whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you'll have to forgive me if I seem just a bit distracted this morning. Uh, you see, if you can't tell from what I'm wearing, I'm just a bit of a Chiefs fan. And I heard a rumor going around that we're playing in kind of a big game this afternoon. So I might be a bit distracted while I'm up here. And, and listen, I know not everyone, not everyone shares my same rightful convictions on this matter. And to that group of people, I say, get out. <laughs> I mean, the door is right there. Okay, okay. Not, not, not really. That's a joke. You can stay, I guess. And you may not care about football, or you might be, gasp, a Raiders fan, I don't know. Might have a few of those uh, masquerading around here. And I am truly sorry to start the sermon off this way, but I just couldn't help myself. I mean, you know you're deeply invested when you're not actually really excited about the game. You're actually just mostly nervous that something terrible is going to go wrong, and we won't actually win the Super Bowl. Like, can I be honest with you all this morning? I'm a bit worried about the field that we're going to play on. Like, this is serious. I'm really actually worried. We're playing in the same stadium where we started our season all the way back in uh, week one, the same stadium where we also happened, I have to mention, to suffer a couple field condition-related injuries. It was actually bad enough that a few Chiefs players even mentioned it publicly in press conferences and comments after the game, which actually breaks typical media etiquette a little bit. And now this week, we've got a certain someone, I don't know, I forgot his name, that's trying to make it back to 100% health, right? And call me cuckoo, but I've thought about the growth of the grass just a bit. And it is funny, isn't it? I mean, in our American context, in many ways, this game today is the pinnacle of athletic achievement. Brilliant strategic minds and bodies meeting together in an epic winner-take-all clash, and yet, 
the game may turn on whether or not the grass adequately grew. It's interesting, right? Who would have thunk it? Friends, it turns out that growth matters. Growth matters. That's true for grass in this upcoming game that we have this afternoon, and as we'll discover in this morning's passage that you just heard Ashley read, it's true for Christians as well. In fact, this is how I might summarize Jesus' teachings in these verses about growth. It's this, Christians must grow. Christians must grow. We're studying the beginning of John 15 this morning, which is square in the middle of Jesus' final extended discourse between him and his closest disciples. These chapters are chock full of rich teaching from Jesus, including his classic use of multiple images, illustrations, and metaphors. Like just last Sunday, as we examined the end of John chapter 14, we learned that God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, come and make their home in us by way of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So there was this metaphor from Jesus last week of us as God's home. And this week, Jesus shifts his use of metaphor from a building, a structure, a home, to something much more organic, the vine. John 15, 1 says it, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, Jesus here likely had in mind a wine vineyard, which was and still is today extremely common in the Mediterranean world. In fact, the final clause of the verse, uh, the final clause of the final verse of John 14 is really interesting to me. There, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, rise, let us go from here. We can't know for sure, and there is a good measure of debate on this, but quite a few scholars think that this part of Jesus' teaching in John 15 happened on the journey from where the final supper took place to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is ultimately arrested. He's teaching while they're walking. And if that's right, then you can easily imagine Jesus, and I love to think about this, to dwell on this thought of Jesus being inspired to adopt and, and transform this metaphor of the vine while he and his disciples are, are strolling by, walking by one of the many vineyards that occupies the region. I find that fascinating to think about. You know, the vine is also a really common metaphor in the Old Testament, which Jesus was obviously well-versed in. And in the Old Testament, it's most often used for God's chosen people, the nation of Israel who God plucked and planted so that they might bear fruit to bless the rest of the world. But here in John 15, uh, the last of Jesus' seven incredibly powerful I am statements, he unequivocally centers the metaphor of the vine in himself. I am he says, the true vine, which this one simple phrase includes a nod to Israel's ultimate failure to be a vine that bears much fruit to bless the rest of the world. It includes a declaration of his divinity, of Jesus' divinity, and it includes a promise of a different result than what we saw with Israel on the basis of Jesus' faithful and ultimately perfect perseverance. You see, Jesus embodies and fulfills, again, in a perfect way, the purpose of the nation of Israel as the true vine that God is planting to bear fruit to bless the world. But here's where it gets radically interesting. Radically interesting. In verse 5, verse 5 reveals to us that incredibly, we are a central part of this plan for Jesus to be the true vine. Take a look at that verse with me. I am the vine... You are the branches. I am the vine, but, but, but you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
Again, are you tracking this with me? The, the key is that highlighted phrase on the screen, you are the branches. Jesus says, we are the branches, right? I mean, nobody wants a vineyard without grapes. What, what good is that? A vineyard without grapes. And, and yes, the vine is great and needed. Of course it is. But you can't get the grapes without the branches. And so in the context of how Jesus is teaching this metaphor, we are a vital part of how the vineyard bears fruit to bless the world. We are, Jesus says, the branches. It's remarkable. And as I said last week, when we studied together the truth that God makes his home in us, I don't feel worthy of this. And actually, I think I want to amend that. I am not worthy of this. I'm not worthy to be a branch. But it's true nonetheless. It's God's plan nonetheless. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. And notice with me in this verse how it is that the branches come to bear much fruit to bless the world. Let's shift the focus. I am the vine, you are the branches. And now let's highlight this. Whoever abides in me, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Whoever abides. The key is that the branches abide in the vine. Or your translation might say, remain in the vine. We gain more understanding of this idea by weaving in verse 4 as well. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's how I might summarize these verses as as well as this concept, this word, this rich word of abiding, of remaining. Christians must grow. We've already seen that. And first, growth looks like dependence. Growth looks like dependence. Now, this is a brilliantly intuitive implication from Jesus, I'm convinced. I mean, naturally, right, even if we're not horticultural experts, we know that a disconnected branch that just falls to the ground and lies there isn't going to bear any fruit. The branch must remain connected in, grafted in. It must abide. It must remain. It must keep tethered to the vine in order to fulfill its purpose of bearing fruit. And in a spiritual sense, the same is true for us as the branches. The end of verse 5 states it most plainly in a way, like only Jesus can get away with this, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now here's the follow-up question. Do you believe that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? In fact, do you cherish that? Or are you a little bit insulted by that? Do you believe that or are you insulted by that? Your answer to that question, wherever you fall on that scale, I think reveals the level that you are comfortable growing by way of greater and greater and greater and greater, more and more and more and more dependence on Jesus. Growth looks like dependence. And again, I know that this is a bit of a counterintuitive idea for us. Right from a human development perspective, we make almost the exact opposite point, don't we? Growth for a child, to a teenager, to a young adult, to a mature adult, it looks, what does it look like? It looks like greater and greater independence. It looks like an increasing ability to not have to depend on anyone else. 
But now here I am, two Sundays in a row, talking about how we must admit that we don't got this, that we do need help, that we must abide, that we must remain, that we must depend. Within the context, again, of the metaphor, we're branches. Our purpose is to bear much fruit, to bless the world, but friends, we cannot do that if we find ourselves disconnected from Jesus. We cannot do that if we reject this call from Him and this command from Him to abide and remain in Him. Growth looks like dependence. But don't miss the mutuality of this either. Did you see that in verse 5 as we looked at that verse together? Jesus says there, whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this really in a mysterious, incredible way, mirrors the mutual abiding that happens between God the Father and God the Son. We see this dynamic come through more from Jesus in verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. There's a mutual abiding between God the Father and God the Son and our mutual abiding of us abiding in Jesus and Jesus abiding in us, again, mysteriously and incredibly mirrors that. And notice with me as well in verses 9 and 10, the emphasis on love. In these two verses, it's mentioned an incredible five times. So yes, growth looks like dependence. It looks like dependence. It looks like us standing up and saying, I don't got this, we don't got this. We must remain connected, tethered, grafted in, abiding, remaining. But friends, this is not a detached, unfeeling, cold kind of command. This is not from Jesus a demand for fetal position submission. Rather, this is a a beautiful and stunning invitation to an organic and dynamic relationship. A relationship. And yes, it's important for us to remember our placement within the hierarchy of that relationship. You're a branch. You are a branch, not the vine. And don't you forget it, right? But I also needed us to see and make sure that we understood the love and mutuality that shines through in this passage. I think it's so important for us to see that because of what else is so evident in these verses. Namely this, growth looks like dependence, but it feels like pruning. Growth feels like pruning. Growth feels like pruning. We see this right away in the passage, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And we'll see more on pruning here in a moment, but there's something else that I want you to see with me in these verses before we focus in on that. It's the first clause. It's the clause at the first part of this verse. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In verse 6, if you have your Bibles in front of you, makes this dynamic even more clear. Verse 6 reads, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Church, this is a challenging image of God's righteous judgment against those who reject Jesus. And as difficult as it is, it is vital for us to reckon with it. 
And it is vital for me to ask the question, have you made the all-important decision to surrender your life so that you can abide and remain in Jesus? If not, if you have not done that, Jesus is clear. At the final judgment, you will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Which again, I know that is not a pleasant thought, but it is the reality of the truth of God's words, and none of us are served by ignoring it. None of us are served by ignoring it. And this also helps us to glean this insight from the passage. The knife of the vine dresser cuts every branch. Do we see this? The knife of the vine dresser cuts every branch. Either you are a branch that rejects Jesus, meaning that you will experience the knife of the vine dresser as you are cut off and thrown into the fire. Or, alternatively, you are a branch that submits to Jesus, depends on Jesus, abides in Jesus, remains in Jesus, meaning you are a branch that will bear fruit and a branch that will experience the knife of the vine dresser to be subjected to pruning. Pruning. This is what Jesus says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I could have spent time this week trying to come up with a pithy explanation of pruning for you, but I decided there was actually a more interesting way to approach this. You see, some of you may know this, others of you may not. We actually have a family of vine dressers here in our own congregation. I've got a picture here of the Kurtz family, who is, uh, this is in their very own small vineyard, which is on their property, uh, just down literally uh, flum across Shawnee Mission Parkway one minute. And in light of this reality, uh, I asked an actual expert, Nathan Kurtz, to come and share a little bit with us about pruning. So Nathan's going to come and join me, uh, because I don't know what I'm talking about, so... So Nathan, can you give us a quick overview of the actual nitty-gritty steps of pruning a branch in your vineyard? Yeah, absolutely. So we've lived in our place for eight years. I've been pruning these vines for seven years. And this passage really came to life for us when we started tending these vines. So there's two things that I think the disciples would have known, but if you didn't grow up with this, you may not. So when you prune, you're pruning 80% of that plant back. It's not a little trim, snip, 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 snip. It's like 80%. Mark helped me last year. We could cut back 90% of our Concord grapes because... If you don't cut it back, those vines just overgrow. The other thing is when you talk about if you, don't, you have to throw it in the fire, if you don't throw the dead stuff and the prune stuff into the fire and separate it out and burn it up, even from a, a, up to a mile away, it'll mildew and it'll waft back and it'll kill the vines that are still good. So it's not just, a, oh, we'll, we'll throw in the fire. It's like you have to separate the good from the bad. Hmm. Yeah, and you've kind of touched on this already, but flesh out a few more reasons why pruning is so vital to the branch bearing more fruit, how the actual process, painful process for the branch, confusing process for the branch of getting pruned, why it results in this greater growth uh, back. Yeah, so the first few years I did this, um, I would, when you finish, it looks like, is that all that's left? And it's like, man, that plant produced a lot of grapes last year. Well, it will produce more. But um, it's, it's a deep cutting, and vines are resilient. Vines, they, they grow, that's what they do. And the root ball cannot keep up with the vine growth. And so if you don't cut it back every year, all the energy that plant these following years is to sustain all the infrastructure, all the other branches that it made. And so you either get no fruit or so little fruit that there's no sweetness to it, the grapes aren't good, they're small, they're not good. So if you want to take care of your vines and you want to have good grapes, you've got to cut a lot back. Yeah. And then connecting it back to the passage, to what Jesus is ultimately trying to teach us, 
And I know you've marinated on this passage, thought a lot about, reflected on this passage, especially in the last few years if you've done this. But why is pruning such a powerful part of the vine, vine dresser, and branch metaphor that Jesus is teaching here? Yeah. Um, so in my experience, like pruning is painful. It is a deep cut. It's a big surgical operation. And uh, it's painful. But in order for me to produce more fruit next year, I'll use me as an example. God's still doing a lot of work in me. There's still a lot of areas where I need pruned. I need cleaned. I need to be able to produce more fruit. So even though, hey, some good things may have happened, if, if I'm not pruned back, if I'm, if I'm overgrowing, I'm collecting stuff, collecting things that are distracting me from being obedient to God, it distracts me from my ability to follow him and to produce fruit. So that is a painful process, but there's still things God's rooting out in me so that I can bear more fruit. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nathan. Let's give him a round of applause. I know as well, Nathan, you said that that's coming up, like you're going to do that soon, right? Like in the next few weeks, and you, you're looking for volunteers. <laughs> so if you want to experience the actual uh, mechanisms of this metaphor in a real-life way, just get with Nathan and Ann and their family, and they'll give you an opportunity to do that. I know, Mark, you did that last year. So as I worked on this this week and collaborated with Nathan on that moment here and trying to understand more about pruning, and maybe this is what you're experiencing right now, I'm thinking back over those moments in my life, those experiences in my life where upon reflection or even in real time, you're sort of saying, yes, this is what's happening. I'm experiencing a season of, of pruning. I'm experienced this week, and maybe you are as well, experiencing this wide range of emotions in my life of both, yes, like trying to see the good that God is bringing out of it, but also reckoning with and, and, and uh, struggling even in some ways with the confusion of it or the pain of it. And there was an insight um, that came to me as I was studying that a season of pruning also means that we are experiencing a season of nearness to the Father, of nearness to the Father which feels counterintuitive because I know for me, when I'm being pruned, my tendency is to think and feel that actually the Father is far from me, that He's absent, maybe even that He's falling asleep on the job almost. But if we think back to the metaphor, we notice how this couldn't be possibly true. The exact opposite actually is true. And author and scholar N.T. Wright says it best. He says, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in its hand. Now, this doesn't minimize the pain of experiencing the hand of the vine dresser of God the Father pruning us. It doesn't negate how challenging it is to be pruned, but I am hoping that this is an insight, this is a truth that can sustain us an insight that we can tuck into our minds and hearts to help us to persevere in the midst of a season of pruning, that, that maybe you're in one right now. You're experiencing it in real time. But friends, remember, Christians must grow, and growth feels like pruning. It's necessary. Now, here's what's next. Growth looks like dependence, it feels like pruning, and it is catalyzed by obedience. It's catalyzed by obedience. Growth is catalyzed by obedience. We talked a lot about obedience last Sunday. Remember, we don't got this. God is very much in charge of his own home. But the theme emerges here again. Jesus, again, in this passage, as he has this lengthy discourse of teaching with his disciples, he often cycles through uh, repeated themes. And so in verse 10 and then in verse 14, we see the call and the command, the need for us to obey. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
And then verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, we also talked at length last week about how God's love toward us is not initiated. It's not initiated by our obedience. And here, just to be clear, verse 14 is not teaching that our friendship with Jesus is initiated by our obedience. Rather, the emphasis is on how our relationship with God and our friendship with Jesus ought to be characterized by obedience. Characterized. Friends, the reality is that obedience is Jesus' love language. Obedience is Jesus' love language. Which may sound a bit strange, but this is actually very intuitive. I think on it with me. If you are to truly love anyone, your child, your spouse, your parents, or, or like Jesus mentions here, your friends. He says that, your friends, whoever it is. What you cannot do is say this to them. I feel love for you. I feel it. I feel love for you, but I won't do anything you ask of me unless I agree with it 100% or it's abundantly convenient for me or unless I really, really, really want to do it at the exact moment that you ask me to do it. I mean, we all know, right? That's not love. It's not. It's something much less than love. And notice with this with me too. The whole point of this passage is growth that results in more and more fruit that blesses the world. And I don't know about you, but when I think back upon the greatest periods of growth in my own relationship with Jesus, those were seasons that were radically characterized by obedience. And if I think back to drier seasons in my life with Jesus and my relationship with Him where maybe it felt like I was a withering branch, those were seasons that were characterized by a disobedience or by just disregarding Jesus' commands. And I know, I know sometimes we get nervous in discussions about obedience because we are, thanks be to God, we are people of grace. We are people of grace who don't want to become legalistic. But church, hear me on this. It is not legalistic to obey Jesus. It's not legalistic to obey Jesus. Pastor and author John Tyson recently said, we live in a culture that is so lukewarm that anything that even resembles discipleship is immediately dismissed as legalism. But it is not legalistic to obey Jesus. Jesus says, far from being legalistic, you actually demonstrate your love for me by keeping my commands. He says, you demonstrate your friendship with me, which that is an extraordinary idea that we hardly ever see in Scripture, I, I feel the need to point out. Friendship with God, friendship with Jesus. And you demonstrate your friendship with me by obeying what I command. Growth is catalyzed by obedience. And also notice with me exactly what it is that Jesus commands in this passage. What is He commanding us to do? Twice He does this, first in verse 12 and then in verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And these things I command, verse 17, I command you these things, why? So that you will love one another. And this isn't even the first time we're seeing this theme emerge in this section. It first shows up at the end of John's gospel, back at the end of John chapter 13. But here it comes back again within the context of the guiding metaphor of John 15, the vine and the branches. It makes a ton of sense and connects directly in. Because look again with me at this image from the Kurtz's vineyard. Take a look at this picture again. I mean, there's more than one branch on that vine, right? Listen, the, the insight is that we don't abide in Jesus alone. 
We don't abide in Jesus alone as singular branches that are trying to bear enough fruit to bless the entire world. That's not the design. Rather, we are only one branch of many. One branch that is all connected to and remaining in the vine of Jesus together. And track with me on that the result of us understanding and living into Jesus' command here. As we obey Jesus' command to love one another, to love the other branches that are connected to the vine, we are able to support one another in difficult seasons of pruning. We are able to help one another obey Jesus' other commands, reminding one another that it is not illegalistic to obey Jesus. And then together we experience exponentially fruitful growth which we can then give that growth and that fruit away to bless others and to compel them that this is the way of life, the way of true life, the way to surrender their lives and begin abide. Join us in this vine. Join us in abiding in this vine. Growth is catalyzed by obedience. And the first command that we must obey is to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And friends, as we do that, As we do that, something remarkable will result. It's our final idea for this morning. Briefly as we close, growth results in joy. Growth results in joy. We see this beautifully on display in the passage in verse 11. In that verse, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full may be full. Last week, we closed the sermon with Jesus' emphasis in that passage at the end of John 14 on peace. And here, we see His desire that we would also recognize the abundant joy that is on offer in this way of life. And yes, notice again the upside-down paradox to all of this, because the peace of Jesus does not mean the absence of suffering. And the joy of Jesus does not mean the absence of sorrow. In the life of the Christian, it can and does all coexist together. Immense suffering, and yet peace that surpasses understanding. Deep sorrow, and yet an even deeper joy still. And I'm not saying that we always walk these tensions out perfectly. The Lord knows that I don't do that. But it is possible, and it is where we grow tenfold, fiftyfold, one hundred fourfold, more and more fruit, not for our glory, but for His. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And listen, even as I know that I'm not painting a picture of an easy road, an easy path, an easy way, I am confident this is the right one. This is the right road, the right path, the right way. I'm convinced of that, not because I've walked it perfectly, I haven't, but because Jesus has. Jesus has. Listen to how the author of Hebrews ties all these themes together with powerful synergy. This is Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. The author writes, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings closely, which sounds a lot like a difficult season of pruning, right? We're we're laying it aside. We are submitting to the Father's pruning Every weight and every sin which can cling so closely, why are we doing that? To let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
But hey, let us look to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I've always been stunned by the paradox in these verses. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Friends, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus never invites us to go somewhere that he hasn't already gone himself. Jesus never invites us to go somewhere that he hasn't already gone himself. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross persevered through the cross. And Jesus knows Christians must grow. It looks like dependence. It feels like pruning. It is catalyzed by obedience, and it results in a deep, abiding joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the example of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He defeated death. You raised him from the dead, and now he sits at your right hand. And he invites us, Lord. Now he calls us and compels us to follow him, and we can, because Jesus is not just our example. He is also our Savior and Lord. If we surrender our lives to him, if we, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are grafted into him as the vine, Lord, we can walk out this pathway, enduring in the midst of our own suffering, our own sorrow, navigating well through seasons where you difficultly and challengingly prune us for the joy that is set before us. Thank you, Lord, for this pathway that it is possible that all of this was first evidenced in your son, Jesus. We love him because he first loved us, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.